Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to One Sweet Dream, a podcast where we explore the dream that was and is the Beatles. Hi there, Diana here. Today's episode is a Hidden Gems episode, which I am thrilled to share with you. But I realize it is coming in the midst of a Cleave series, and I just wanted to clarify that we are continuing to work on those as well. The two series are being done concurrently, so please be assured that if you're waiting for the George or Brian episodes, they're coming, as are additional Hidden Gems episodes. Second, please note, in this episode, my guest and I focus entirely on Lennon and McCartney compositions because it pertains to my host's current focus and expertise. Third, just a note about the audio. This episode was recorded on July 3rd, so you will hear the occasional sound of fireworks in the background. And so I'm just hoping that that will add to the festive atmosphere of the episode. I think that's all the setup that is required, so without further delay... Let's jump in. Here we go. Hello and welcome to One Sweet Dream. I am your host, Diana Erickson, and today I am joined by writer Ian Leslie for an all-new episode of Hidden Gems and Unsung Masterpieces. Ian is a writer for The New Statesman, The Economist, The Guardian, and The Financial Times, as well as for his own newsletter, The Ruffian, and he has written some fabulous pieces on The Beatles, and he is also the author of the book, Conflicted. Hello, Ian. Welcome to One Sweet Dream. Thank you for being here. Hello, Diana. I am delighted to be here on your brilliant podcast, and I'm really looking forward to getting stuck into this. Oh, me too. As I just mentioned to you before we started recording, this is a fabulous list. You overlapped three of my songs from my running tab of songs that I, I hope to cover. You hit three of them. Excellent. Uh, it's a good hit rate. We've got some good it's overlap here. And you know what? You also have two on your list that I wouldn't have thought of. And then when I saw you would put them on, I was like, oh my God, I am so glad we're talking about those. 
And there is one that totally shocked and surprised me in that I had never heard it before. So you managed to identify a true hidden gem for me. It was completely hidden from me. So I didn't think there was a Beatles song I didn't know. So that is amazing. One. I feel I feel pretty good about myself already. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> thank great. you for introducing me. So that was quite the feat. Okay, so we've got a great list. But before we jump in, so as you know, I've done a lot of digging into 1969. And one of the things that I know uh, that the Beatles specifically Lennon and McCartney, but all of the Beatles really needed to communicate better at this time. So you were the author of a book called Conflicted. Do you think you could have helped the Beatles in 1969? <laughs> I mean, almost certainly not. But but I mean, yes, the, the, in, in a sense, because that book, Conflicted, is about how to disagree um, how to have productive sort of <laughs> disagreements and arguments. And a lot of it, the kind of emphasis is on having your disagreements out in the open rather yeah. than avoiding them and letting them kind of fester and turn into passive aggression. <laughs> and oh. <laughs> yeah, I do think that passive aggression <laughs> and avoiding, you know, the kind of open disagreements was at times, not always, but it was, was a problem for the Beatles. And you can see that manifest in, in all sorts of ways. And sometimes you see it and get back. Oh, yeah, definitely. Also, can we talk about your newest project, which is incredibly exciting? You are currently working on a book about Lennon and McCartney, John and Paul. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I am. Yeah. So um, I, I'm, as you are, I, I'm slightly obsessed by the relationship between Lennon and McCartney. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think we're right to be obsessed. You know, yes. these guys, they come and meet each other. Uh, they're both geniuses and their relationship changes the world. You know, it, does. it just uh, it's just a beautiful story. These two kids who come together and boom. And for all the many, many books about the Beatles, I don't think there's been one that really focuses on those two in particular uh, on the relationship. So I'm going to write essentially a biography of the relationship from when they meet in 1957 to uh, to John's death in 1980, 23 years, um, and just trace its its development and look at how the emotions and the feelings that they had for each other fed into the music and vice versa. Well, that's brilliant. I am very excited about this because I agree. We should be obsessed. This story is such a fantastic story. And it's shocking to me that it has been ignored for so long, you know, it, right. it is the center of the story. It is a creative love story at the center of the Beatles and it has been ignored. And my opinion, my podcast opinion has been that if you don't get that right, you don't get anything about the Beatles right. Yeah, that's you know? beautifully put. And I'm not sure why it hasn't been addressed, you know, directly in depth it's been sort of overlooked in favour of, oh, we'll talk about the group or we'll talk about one of the individuals. Or when we talk about Lennon McCartney, we'll say, you know, they were great rivals. Um, yeah. Or, or they were great mates or they were like brothers. And, you know, none of these things, some of these, they all have an element of truth, but but none of them are, yeah. are, are the whole truth. So, um, yeah, that's what I'm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's a number of reasons for that, which I'm sure you'll cover and, and which I've talked about a lot in my podcast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cer certainly the early 70s 
narrative that was set and continued by Rolling Stone, I think was absolutely detrimental to their relationship. Yeah. And, and, you know, I had Winner's biographer come on and he talked about how Lennon sent Winner a picture of uh, John and Paul together on Easter Sunday in 1974. And he wrote on it, how do you sleep? I think I read from that. He was saying that, how do you sleep knowing that you've been trying to tear us apart? You know, I think by that point, John had probably identified who was detrimental to him and that he had published the Lennon Remembers interviews. And so, yes, there's there's many. Yeah, reasons. You know, when, when, when I tell people about the book, they sometimes say, oh, yeah, but what are you, what are you going to write about after the Beatles split up? Is there anything to write about, you know, during the 70s? And I'm like... No, that's, an, that's one of the most fascinating periods of all. When oh. they were, you know, estranged yeah. in, in some sense, but, but still intimately connected. Absolutely. I think the 70s is where they give us all the information to look at the 60s. It's kind of where they start ah, to talk. Right. right. You know? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. 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 Especially John. Especially John. Paul, it's after John dies that Paul starts to to open up. But 70s, you know, John talks, John does so many interviews and he uses them as therapy sessions. So anyways, I'm so happy you're focusing on this. I personally think that it being a creative love story between these two men has been a little bit threatening. Mm -hmm. I think it is threatening because people have championed one or the other. And, you know, there's so many reasons, but it always astounds me that, you know, books will focus on Stuart or they focus on Brian and John. And yet Paul and John, it's just like, oh, they barely even talked. You know what I mean? It's so (laughs) central to everything. Yeah. But anyways, I I look forward to it. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So we have a fantastic list today as discussed, and um, I guess let's just jump straight into them. Are you ready? I am ready. <laughs> okay, here we go. All right, the first song on our list is from Hard Day's Night, Tell Me Why. Tell me why you chose this one, Ian. Oh, you know, if there is one song that I know I can put on and feel energised, feel this massive blast rush of energy and happiness and joy, which, you know, we all need now and again, it's this one. Yeah. I'm amazed it's so sort of overlooked and has been dismissed by... The Beatles themselves, and then by various critics and so on. Well, I'm not amazed. I, I guess it's a pretty simple song. You know, there's not much that's like harmonically or melodically or uh, lyrically sophisticated. But in terms of, what, you know, the thing that's so important about the Beatles is the feel, you know, the feeling of, yes, of the sound yes, that yes, they yes. mix. 
And that's what uh, the thing that's easy to get overlooked when you're writing about them or when, you know, you're being a music critic and so on, um, because it's kind of hard to write about. But it's hugely, and, and this song is just pure feel, and and it and it's just, and it's so much fun. I'm connected to that, you know, the other reason I, I love it is that, to my mind, around this time, the Beatles were essentially a girl group. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, much as uh, Chuck Berry and Elvis, Smokey Robinson were all, all, all kind of hugely influential on them, I think the, the influence of girl groups is slightly underplayed. And, and you yeah. look at their albums around this time, they're just full of girl group songs, either girl group covers <laughs> yeah. um, or, or songs that they've written as, as girl groups. And this is just a huge kind of blast of, of joyful girl group energy. Yeah, well, John actually said that about this this song. He said it was a girl group song, which it is with the call and the response. It makes yeah. me laugh even when I'm listening to it because it's so structured like that. But I agree, I, you know, this song feels good. It's so charismatic. It's so fun. I think that the harmonies are just phenomenal. John's lead is amazing. And it's just like, it just even starts with a bang with Ringo's drumming. You know, like this would be a big hit for anybody else. With the Beatles, it's just like a good album song, but it's a great album song. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the vocals are fantastic. And actually you get what what um, what they add to the girl group sound you get this blend of masculine and feminine tones, right? So you, you, Absolutely. you get, you know, Lennon's very gritty and kind of bluesy, sings yep. it wonderfully. Uh, but then you get this kind of lighter voices coming in and harmonizing with him <laughs> so beautifully. Yeah. And I also just like the way they, it's slightly kind of, you know, they kind of crash in at the beginning, like not oh, completely yeah. in time. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I love, you know, it's just like a bunch of, puppies running around you know so it's yeah just uh, the energy that just kind of comes off it is incredible yeah I love that idea of them all just kind of crashing in with this sound and that's how it sounds like it's just like it grabs you it's ridiculously catchy you know you hear the song once and you can't forget it and um one of the things that occurred to me about this is one of the things that I think is notable is it is one of many John songs where it's enjoyable, it's catchy, it's energetic, it's fun. And yet the lyrics are John's lyrics of betrayal in some way. You know, he's constantly being treated badly by somebody, you know? Ah, that's interesting because I hadn't even thought about the lyrics much. So so go on. Tell Yeah, in these early romantic songs, he's got these themes uh, of where he's been betrayed by somebody or treated badly or somebody's putting in, him in his place or in, ignoring oh, yeah. him. You know, he says this here. Every other you song. Left me sitting on my- exactly, you left me sitting it, on it, my own. Yes. Yeah, or even um, Please Please Me. Like exactly. I please you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. He's always complaining. And it's kind of unusual. He's really under somebody's thumb. And here he's like, dude, you have to treat me oh so bad. All I do is hang my yeah. head and moan. Tell me why yeah. you cried and why you lied. Tell me why you cried and why you lied to me. Gosh, Again, you're so idea. right, yeah. Yeah. And then there's the other bucket of John's always trying to make up for something that he's probably done. And he even does that in the song. He's like, 
you know, if there's something that I've said or done, tell me what and I'll apologize. And then he goes into that. So I was just thinking about this, this theme. It's this go-to, like no reply. Somebody's betraying him. I don't want to spoil the party. He's done something wrong. I'm a loser. He's done something wrong. It's only love. He's dumb, bad to me. Somebody's treating him badly. I'll cry instead. You know, run for, like all of these are, he's hooked on somebody who's very challenging for John, which is, I assume probably um, <laughs> John's just go-to place in relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's hard to trace it back to what's going on in his life. You, you can certainly kind of trace it back to his incredible upbringing um, and what was going on there. But yeah, it's it's, an inc- it's just this recurring theme, isn't it? Just upset hurt pride and 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 this, <laughs> and this feeling that you know somebody's not doing him right exactly. and of course he's drawing on on the idiom of <clears throat> of uh, uh, pop and blues and so on but it, it, it's so recurrent and so kind of varied in its expression that it's it's a little bit more than that it is more than that and and actually i looked at a quote from paul mccartney and he said i think a lot of these songs like tell me why may have been based in real experiences or affairs john was having or arguments with Cynthia or whatever, but it never occurred to us until later to put that slant on it at all. And so I think all of these songs were autobiographical in some way, you know, these feel very authentically real to me, you know, all these early, like the, the no replies or even tell me why, like tell me why is fun and it's exciting and it is joyous, but it is also John complaining, you know, why, why you lied to me. So well, I, I, I think it's so. Um, uh, I think it's so, John, uh, but it's so Beatles, but particularly John, to have pain and anger and joy in the same song. Do, you know, <laughs> there's a quote from Astrid. You know, when um, they meet her at the airport and she tells them about Stuart, and um, and and John has some sort of like little breakdown there at the airport yeah and she said it was so john he does he he does everything at once you know he was laughing Mm. and 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 crying and And, um yeah in songs like this you know he's doing everything at once um and i I think that's what makes it so so powerful yeah yeah i agree I agree. It's all of it. It's got the energy and it has emotion. Yeah. Do you have anything else to say about that one? Oh, um, I, well, yeah, I mean, I love that little falsetto bit. Which is just <laughs> funny. Uh, you know, I, I, I think they intended it to be, you know, kind of kind of funny. Um, I think so. And 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 also, uh, yeah, I mean, you could talk about the girl group thing for longer, but I, I I just I get in this song as in other songs that are strongly influenced by girl groups. I, I love the sense of that the, the, they borrowed from that whole genre of of camaraderie, of of these guys kind of talking to each other, like usually, you, you know. The girls kind of talk to each other um, stereotypically. You know, well, girls get together and have chats about about boys. Um, <laughs> yeah. But but, but in, in their call and response and their backing vocals yep. and so on, you, you that that kind of conveys that sense that we're we're all kind of we're all chatting to each other about you know how we've all been hurt by 
by girls. Um, so, um, yeah, I just like that whole that whole vibe. No, that's a that's a great point because you know in an earlier episode we did any time at all, and I made the point that Paul does the hire any time at all. And it, it's a really interesting effect. It's like the two guys are yeah. standing there together and John is saying, yeah, anytime at all. And Paul's saying, yeah, he means it anytime at all, <laughs> you know? And it, yeah. it's like, and it's the, she loves you. Like they're together. Yeah. They're so close. And, and they are talking about these things and it is, it gives it a sweetness and a warmth, I think. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I love and, that. And I think you're right to, to hone in on the, um, the girl group thing, the Beatles were so open. They were so open-minded to just grab from anywhere. And they didn't have these hangups like, oh, that's a girl group song. You know, yeah. it was like, we love this song. We're going to sing it. And we're going to kind of sing it like them, but with our take on it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and the girl groups also offered a model where it wasn't all about the alpha male, the dominant leader. So, you know, the, insofar as there were groups at the time, they were um, Cliff and the Shadows or Cass and the Casanovas, yeah, yeah. Rory and the Hurricanes. And here was a, a model for, of, of, where it was just the Shirelles or, or, or the Cookies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, where, where, you know, it was a, a, a more kind of flat, democratic kind of um, friend type structure. Yeah, and you know, I'm covering the Cleve interviews right now, uh, the Morning Cleve interviews, and I'm about to put out um, part two of the Paul episode, and so this is fresh in my mind. But it's interesting because Paul actually comments on when they came to America, he's weirdly critical of America, and he talks about how they had it all set up. It was very delineated what was male and what was female, that men had short hair, women had long hair. Yeah, yeah. And he said, well, we got rid of that for them. Like there was pride in... Yeah, that small convention for them. Exactly. And so this idea that um, there was this androgyny that the Beatles introduced, uh, that was great. It sort of busted sort of the the boundaries that they had set in in America. And it's interesting that the British were more relaxed about that than, than the Americans were at that time. Yeah. At least, at least the Beatles themselves were. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think that they were really at the leading edge of that. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Okay. So the next song is, I think, a little bit of a hot mess, but I think it's also yeah. incredible and addictive. And it is. me tight so why did you choose this one ian um similar reasons this one is not a million miles apart from from tell me why but it's it's very much overlooked again it's been sort of dismissed by by the beatles and others um and perhaps with a little more justification in that as you say it's a bit of a hot mess but this is the thing, like they can when they have a bit of a messy song, there are still some things that are just where they're doing it better than anyone else. There's just oh, an, yeah. inc- an incredible feel for it. I just find it irresistible. Um, 
the the forward movement, the momentum yeah. of of, yeah. of the groove, the the vitality of the singing. And this one is a Paul led uh, versus the tell me why was was John led, but the singing and the harmonizing again uh, is incredibly again just so infectious and 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 cheering, um, and. I kind of like the the messiness of it, you know, the way they crash it and they crash in again, but structurally, <laughs> yeah, you know, oh, yeah. with with the bit with the middle eight, they just come in with the last bit of the middle eight. They hadn't had time to work out how to start this song. They were just like, "Oh, we'll just jump in in the middle and <laughs> and, and see what happens." Uh, uh, but then you get this, you know, musically, it's actually a little bit more uh, sophisticated. Yeah. Um, than you think, and and the way it kind of it builds towards, you know, when it goes you you you, yeah, yeah. you, you, you. and it's uh, I, I just think that that release at the top there, and where and it just becomes non-verbal really, just because you, you, you is um, just really glorious, um, yeah. I'll, I'll pause there and let, and let you continue while I gather my thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, this is one that I stumbled into rather late in my Beatles exploration. I stumbled onto this song one day and then promptly played it 20 times in a row. I listened to it and I was like, well, that's kind of off kilter and messy. And I don't know. Now I have to hear it again. Like there is something. Yeah. Like you said, it's very infectious. I feel like it's because it's messy. It's kind of grungy and sexy. Like there's something about mm. the dissonant chords. Like it feels very rock and roll, actually. You know? It's yeah, just, that's there's, true. Yeah, there's something that it's, like you said, it feels like they haven't quite worked it out, but they're like, we're just going to do it. And they make it through sheer force of their charisma and their genius they just made it work you know and it's like paul's like when he's going into the minor chords it's like he's almost gonna lose it and he doesn't he pulls <laughs> it off and that's right yeah I, yeah yeah what it means to hold you tight being here alone tonight with you Once I kind of embraced the fact that it was off kilter and messy, I kind of like that about it. <laughs> you know, it is it is off kilter. It is off kilter and skewed and sort of weird. Um, right down to the the way they end it. Again, they didn't really work out how to end it. They just sort of slow down <laughs> until it stops. And it's just like, hilarious. But yeah, I I, I really think. That um, yeah, that that middle eight where they kind of go, if it is a middle eight, where they kind of go to, into the minor, and then yep. sort of yeah, almost like they're kind of coming up from the depths emotionally and and, and harmonically until you go, get up to that glorious you at the top. Yes, um, yes. really, really special. Um, in the middle of this kind of messy thing, it's it's it, it's kind of it's, it's I think one of the kind of great Beatles moments. I do too. I think that there is um, just a spark of, I don't know, a little spark of genius here in this song that didn't yeah. get worked out. Like, I wonder if they had explored it like they did 
later in their career, you know, 66 onwards, when they didn't know what to do with the song, like, and your bird can sing, or even, even, you know, with what they did with no reply, like, it took them a while to, to get some of those songs and make them really interesting, you know, and at this time, they weren't spending the time on it. It was like you said, they had, I don't know, two hours, they couldn't figure it out, they did it. And that's what we got. It wasn't, wasn't yeah. quite ironed out. But because they're so good, they're so charismatic, they're so brilliant at this time. And I think Paul's stretching here. He's going into minors. He's trying. He didn't quite massage it into something perfect, but I think it's interesting what they're doing, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And of course, Lennon and McCartney both, you know, they both write this song off. Yes, yes. I mean, part of the reason that we, I guess, that we we overlook this period uh, in terms of artistic quality you know, or, or a lot of, not you Maybe. and I, but a lot of people do, yeah, yeah. Um, is is partly because they did. I mean, so so they were just sort of, they were very dismissive about a lot of these songs and they would just say, oh yeah, they're, right, right. they're just thrown off for, for, for the girls in the audience, whatever. Um, and you go, yeah. okay, yeah, okay, John, okay, Paul. Hang on a minute, have yeah. you actually listened to, <laughs> this song is amazing. <laughs> so, you know, there's quite a lot of, um, we, we, we could have done a whole Hidden Gems episode just on the first sort of, you know, three years of, uh, oh, of their albums. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Paul actually wrote Hold Me Tight twice. He tried it again in the 70s. It is part of his oh. Red Rose Speedway medley. Yeah. Is that the same song? Like, just, uh, I knew no, that was no, the same different... title, but yeah. No, it, it's a completely different song, same title. Yeah. I just mean he took that little idea of Hold Me Tight and reworked it yeah. into a totally different song. And yeah. I, I looked it up once. I was like, huh, I'm always curious when they use their song titles in the 70s, if if Lennon and McCartney are talking to each other or referencing yeah. the song. I don't necessarily know if he was, but you know what I traced it to at that time was to, there was like an Elvis song that used a couple of these phrases. Like they used a lot of phrases from early Elvis songs in their early songs as well. And I think yeah. Hold Me Tight was in one of the big Elvis songs. So yeah. That could be at the root of this. They often seem to lean on songs for inspiration, especially Chuck Berry and, and Elvis and I guess Buddy too. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. So, I mean, I love it. I love it. Excellent. Good. Okay, well, the next one is the one that you managed to completely shock me with. When I, I saw it on your list, I was just like, what is this song? So this is a true hidden gem for me. And it is Bad Boy. which was, I guess, on Beatles 6 in the U.S., and it wasn't released in the U.K. until 1966. So why did you choose this one, Ian? Um, so I first started listening to the Beatles because my parents had uh, an LP um, of a compilation that they, they put out in, I think, 1966 called Beatles Oldies but Goldies. You know, they were only a few years in and they were always kind of, you know, already kind yeah, of having yeah, this... nostalgia trips. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's got, you know, some of their big hits um, on, on this little compilation. But it's also got, I I don't think this is anywhere else. I, Bad Boy, I think, is 
on this compilation as a kind of bonus track. Um, and so it was one of the first songs that, that introduced me to the Beatles. And um, I absolutely loved it. And then I didn't listen to it for a long time. Um, and then I came back to it years later and I was like, wow, I, I was right. You know, this still is one of the most exciting things I've ever heard. Um, it, it's, it, I think it's one of the great Lennon rock and roll vocal performances mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. up there with, with Twist and Shout. And, uh, uh, you know, it's absolutely just viscerally thrilling and exciting. Um, it's also funny. You know, it's also kind of crazy. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's hilarious. Kind of, it's hilarious, right? It's got that kind of Beatles wit. Um, but I also think, you know, that the playing is great. George's guitar is great. And, and it's just, uh, yeah, I just think it's a really exciting track, basically. <laughs> what did you That's think of having not heard it? Well, so I put it on and I thought this was a Lennon-McCartney. I didn't realize that it was actually written by Larry Williams. So the first thing I noticed were the lyrics. They seem so unusual. I, I assumed John had written it because he was singing it. And I was like, what are these lyrics? Like, yeah. I was like, was John writing about himself? It's like, he's writing about a bad boy in the neighborhood. And it was like, aren't you that, John? And it seems so <laughs> wordy. I laughed for five minutes looking at these lyrics. Now, Junior, behave yourself. Buy every rock and roll book on a magazine stand. Every dime that he gets, oh, is off to the jukebox man. Well, he worries indeed until at night she's ready to poop. From rocking and a But beyond the confusion around the lyrics, I must say your comments really reflect my experience of it, where I listened to it maybe the first two times and it didn't really catch me. I was like, eh, it's okay. And then the third time, it kind of gave me that fluttery feeling of hearing the Beatles for the first time, like when I was really young. It was the John's vocal. Something about it just caught me off guard. I was like... Yourself. I, I don't know. There's something about John's early Beatles vocals that are just so defining of them at that time. And it just kind of gave me a little chill and it was exciting. So I think you're right. It has that. The fact that I've been listening to the Beatles forever and I've never heard this song and that took me back. And it was John's vocal that I was like, it's just that cool sound of John's voice at this at this time that so reflects the early Beatles sound. And I, I really loved it. Yeah. So for that, I absolutely loved it. It's, it's, he's soulful and sexy. Um, yeah. And it's um, very uh, bluesy, sexy. Uh, but, and at the same time, uh, funny, you know, it's a very Beatles combination of, of kind of silliness and soulfulness. <laughs> um, 
and this is beyond you know, silliness it's it's yeah. craziness yeah he, you know so it's the rhyme with poop and then he goes and spinning out a hula hoop and he really relishes it you know um uh and and then you know towards the end he's just sort of just starts screaming and barking like a dog you know he just absolutely kind of is his there's, there's these massive kind of screams and yelps around George's guitar solo and uh you just think wow he's just having so much fun uh so yeah it's just uh very very exciting very very visceral um just just full of everything that I love about the Beatles. Yeah, I think you're right. John's vocals at this time are incredibly sexy. And I think it's that mixture of he's kind of tough and edgy. And then there's the humor there too. And the energy like, and then Paul's kind of always fused in there too, you know, and it's kind of, you know, John and Paul are kind of always in each other's songs, but it's that edgy and funny combination. It's, it's incredible. It's incredible. So thank you for introducing me to this song. Oh, I don't know. If, I don't know if it's going to be one of my favorites just because of the ridiculous lyrics, but uh, I did love having that that feeling of just it's, like it's oh. almost um, uh, it's almost one of their comedy songs, you know, like uh, Besame Mucho. You know, it's on that kind of spectrum, isn't it? Yeah, this one is just like the words are ridiculous. <laughs> But I like it. I mean, I like that that it's nonsense. They love nonsense songs. You know, they love no, they a pop a loop up a lot, bam, boom, <laughs> you know, just spinning out that word hula hoop, I just think is, is yeah, just yeah. part of the kind of pure joy of, of rock and roll. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, they love Tutti Fruity too. Yeah, all those yeah. kind of crazy early songs. Yeah. Okay. Anything else to say about this one? No. Okay, so the next song on your list is Gorgeous, a favorite of mine, and it's from the album Help, and it is I've Just Seen a Face. I've just seen a face, I can't forget the time or place where we just met. She's just a girl for me, and I want all the world to see we've met. Had it been another day, I might have looked the other way And I'd have never been aware But as it is, I'll dream of her tonight Falling, yes I am falling And she keeps calling me back again I have never known the like of this I've been alone and I have missed things and kept out of sight But other girls were never quite like this Falling, yes I'm falling And she keeps calling me back again So why did you choose this one, Ian? Well, this one may, may struggle to, to clear the bar of a hidden gem because uh, it's reasonably well known. And, and in fact, he did it. But it was on my mind because I went to see him recently. Uh, yeah, I saw him in, in New Jersey, uh, McCartney. And this was part of the show. And, and, and it was one of my favourite bits of the show because it's one of my favourite songs yeah. and it's not actually one of the big ones which is why I was so pleased to, to see it in, in his show um, I just think it's very clever and very wonderful and very beautiful um, 
I love the way that the the lines um, trip over themselves. Yes, I just love that the, the way the rhythms capture the uh, ex- exhilaration of love at first sight and the craziness yeah, of it, yeah, yeah. the kind of topsy turviness of it, and head over heels. Um, that's real, like that's brilliant songwriting. You know, that, that, that's the level he was getting to at this at this stage. Um, you know, whether he did it intuitively, instinctively, or he worked it out, I don't care. But like he got to that level where. The, the sound of the music, the sound of the rhythms, you know, expressed the emotion that he was conveying in in in, in the words, um, and it just sort of trips along so so beautifully, and then that lovely chorus, you know, falling, yes, I'm falling, yes, um, it's so gorgeous. And as I was watching it, watching him play it, it struck me uh, for the first time really there was a, a great example of that beautiful thing about pop music, um, which is that it can sound very happy and very sad at the same time. Yes. You know, for all that this is a joyful, happy, kind of rolling along song, there's a kind of little bit of, there's a strain of melancholy to it as well. Falling, yes, I'm falling. Um, and and perhaps, you know, it's sort of infused with that folk or, and country kind of, um, yep. feel um, and that's part of it um, but uh, it reminded me of this quote which I had to kind of look up again but it's, uh, I think it's a great quote this is from the art critic Dave Hickey brilliant uh, writer he said all songs are sad songs born as they are on this insubstantial substance of our fleeting breath um, just a kind of like lovely very writerly way to, to put it uh, but it's also, it, 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 then I came across this quote from McCartney from Pete Perfides' interview with him and from Pete's piece about Paul recently, where Paul basically says the same thing. I mean, he's he's talking, and it's, so he doesn't say it in that kind of writerly way, but he says, uh, do you mind if I just read this quote out? It's just a few no, lines. Go, go for it. He says, uh, I, I think you're, I can't remember what they were talking about when he said this, but he says, I think you're getting to the philosophical core of things when you say that. Oh, I think Pete had been talking about how Penny Lane which is a great, you know, example of sadness and happiness intermingled. Yes, yes, yes. And Pete yes. had been talking about that. And Paul really responded to that. And he said, yeah, I think you're getting to the philosophical core of things when you say that. I think things that are happy are also intrinsically sad. They contain the seed of sadness. Let's imagine we're making a film and there's a person on a beach. It's a very, very sunny day. The waves are lapping in. Now, that can sort of be happy or sad. It tends to depend on, on the music you play. Even if you play... And at this point, he pretends to be a brass band playing I Do Like to Be Beside the Seaside. Even if you play that, one day when we discover the meaning of life, that will somehow be contained within it, that happy is sad and sad is happy. That's Fascinating. Yeah. And that's unusually kind of, um, I don't know if the word's articulate for, or, or, you know, McCartney doesn't often go on that kind of riff, right? So he doesn't analyze in that, in that way. He doesn't philosophize or philosophize, yes. whatever yes. it was, um, mm-hmm, that mm. much. So it's obviously something that he's really thought about and feels strongly about. I just read it, you know, the week after I'd seen him play that song and thought, wow, yeah, I've just seen his face. It's so, it's so gorgeous and so happy and, and so bubbly. Um, and yeah, it's sort of sad at the same time, and, and that's what makes it such a beautiful song. Well, that's really fascinating. In my discussion with Michael Penn, we talked about that with Penny Lane, that 
it's specifically Mark trade of McCartney is even his happy because there's a lot of joy in McCartney's music, but there's a lot of nostalgia too. It's kind of like he's almost envisioning. It's like he sees that happiness and then he goes beyond it when you're looking back at this, this happiness and there's a nostalgia to it. It's really interesting how many of his great pieces are infused with both of these emotions and maybe it's all music, but it's specifically present in, in McCartney's. And, you know, when I was making notes of this song, you can't not talk about the fact that it captures the feeling, the thrill, the euphoria, the tripping over yourself, the breathlessness of falling in love. Like it just captures that feeling so perfectly. And Paul himself said he loved the insistent quality of the song. And so it has that, but weirdly it conjures for me, those were the days, like the folky nostalgia there is that element of it so kind of keying in on what you're saying that there is underneath it just a little bit of sadness or melancholy or whatever we want to call it you know absolutely you you can feel it a, a little bit in um goodbye this you know the mary the song he gave to oh, mary Hopkins. Yes, it's, yes it's a similar sort of um feel um yes and um yeah i mean i think if we wanted to get really deep about this i i think his feeling for that mixed sensation of happiness and sadness you know you can see it the logic of that coming out of his childhood you know yeah. um so, so i like that dave hickey quote you know he says all songs are sad songs born as they are on the insubstantial substance of our fleeting breath you know the reason that even the happiest song is sad is that you know it's just a moment and that Everyone's going to die, frankly, you know, to put it, yeah, to put it yeah. bluntly. Um, this is all kind of, you know, just going to pass. And, you know, by the time McCartney was a young man, he he kind of understood that the fact of, of mortality and the, you know, the, the way things, uh, all things must pass um, to to mm. a greater degree than, than most young men. And and the intermingling of sadness and, and happiness um, in in his life is something that you know it just is is infuses so many of of his songs. I think that's a really important point. So often we we talk about John's songs and the influence of his mother because John talked about it. You know, Paul doesn't talk about it that much, but this, you know, I think in many years from now he said he was talking about Robert Fraser. I think and he said, "I expect people to die, but that one really hit me." And it, it was sad, you know, that he said that. As you said, I think it's something that, that his his childhood experiences taught him. I suspect that that experience is what's infused in so much of the melancholy or the nostalgia or the sadness of like, I, I want to capture it because it's going to go, you know, with yeah, McCartney. Yeah, I think it, I, it's, not, it's not that these songs are about his mother's death, right? It's a more it's more of an artistic achievement than that. What, what happens is that, his life experiences gave him a particular sensibility, an artistic yes, yes, sensibility, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And um, and then and then you see, you know, so many of his songs have that kind of minor to major yes. mix, yes. Uh, like clouds kind of scudding across a, a, a sky, and then yes, they, you know, they go away again, and I, and I yeah, so that uh, for for the Beatles, you know. For the whole of the Beatles, but but particularly for his uh, his songs. Yeah, yeah, and I agree with you. I'm not suggesting that his mother is fused into infused into this song or any of the other ones, but it's it's just no. an experience that yeah. that informs his whole worldview. I think, 
And specifically, yeah. when his emotions are channeled, which it is mostly into his music, that that's where it comes out, you know? Absolutely, yeah. One of the things that I think is interesting about this song, too, is that McCartney fuses styles a lot. You know, you see this in, in the Beatles. He kind of makes these leaps like, all oh, my loving. You know, this one is a bit of the bluesgrass, the country and pop and folk. You know, it has all of these fused into the sound of it. It's hard to put your finger on, but it's, yeah. you know, it's um, very appealing. You know, it's just like the, um, that beginning is so beautiful. <laughs> I was good, just going to say, even that, you know, it's just well-made, you know, like a very well-made piece of oh, furniture. Yeah. Um, that, and, and yeah, that, that, that intro is just a little jewel in, in, in itself. Yeah. Um, and of course, the other thing about this song, as you know, is it was recorded on the same day as I'm Down and Yesterday, um, which is one hell of a day's work. <laughs> It is. You know, what's incredible, too, is he uses three distinct voices. Yeah, he doesn't copy the the vocal style in any of these. This is so particular. And then yesterday is so earnest. And, you know, and I'm down is so bluesy. It's it's incredible, really. It's uh, I just think it's absolutely phenomenal. I mean, you're, you're not supposed to be able to do all three of those styles well at all I mean nobody, nobody <laughs> right. can do that right and and to do them all on the same day you know to to push your voice and and your kind of your sensibility and your, and your musical personality in all those different directions at once uh and then yeah. go for a drink you know it's yeah yeah crazy, which crazy. he did which he did apparently with Jane Asher yeah, yeah. this was um gauntlet thrown <laughs> like okay top that yeah <laughs> that was a pretty good day clarify that this potentially was not the greatest name for this series i was going to call it songs we should be talking about more but then i thought well you know yeah you know that's really what i wanted like that's really the idea behind it is to advocate for the genius of a particular song that could be already well regarded you know, it was the, the opportunity for people to come on and say, I think that more attention should be put on to these songs. Like it's even greater than we think it is because, you know, yeah. all of these songs are well known because it wasn't just like finding obscure songs. It was about relooking at some of these Saying songs. Saying something and fresh sing. about them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, I wouldn't mind if somebody, I would love it. In fact, if somebody said, I want to talk about yesterday because yeah. actually nobody hears yesterday anymore so if somebody wanted I, to I, so if somebody wants that. to come on and do that please do yeah, yeah. I, it's one of the best things in the world i think when when somebody says hey this thing this um this song or this work of art yeah. that you think you know incredibly well hang on a minute you don't know it. Yeah. look at this i love that i yes. love it when that happens and you know i must say that um when i'm putting songs in episodes it i have to sit with them a lot and it's interesting. You would think that after all this time, I would be sick of the Beatles songs. And actually, almost every episode I've worked on, the songs that I placed in the episodes, I now love more. Yeah, that is interesting. And 
yeah, I mean, that's very um, telling of, of how good they are. You know, the more you listen to them, the more uh, sort of amazing and, and, and in a way, the more mysterious they become. The next one on your list is actually one of the ones on my unsung masterpieces list. And uh, so I can't wait to talk about this one. It's a biggie for me because it's also one of my favorites. It is from A Hard Day's Night and it is... If I fell in love with you, would you promise to be true and help me understand? Because I've been in love before and I found that love was more than just holding hands if i give my heart to you i must be sure from the very start that you if i fell tell me why did you choose this one well um lots of different reasons but i i, I think it's one of john's first um and and you know one of his few kind of really uh touching personally exposing uh ballads yeah yep. um, very vulnerable yeah very vulnerable on it to an extent you know i i really kind of started thinking about this song more deeply and i was touched by it really for the first time when i heard his demo mm-hmm. um which is on youtube and um, it's a really bad recording. You know, he just did it at home with a tape recorder and an acoustic guitar. And actually, part of the kind of roughness of the recording, it, it actually sounds like it's a recording from 1910 or it something. Does, it which does. kind of adds something. <laughs> yeah. to, adds a certain something to it. <laughs> and he's, partly because he's, He's written it in a range that he can't sing the, the upper yeah. part of it very well. Um, it, it, he sounds so vulnerable and sort of childlike. It's a very moving. And I and I really felt like, oh, my gosh, you're really kind of exposing your soul here. This isn't yeah. just you thinking I'm going to write a clever ballad. Yeah. And I hadn't sort of noticed that before. Mm-hmm. And then going back to, to the recording itself, there's so much to admire about it. And in a way, it kind of confuses some of those stereotypes we have about their songwriting because it's very harmonically sophisticated in the way that we say, oh, Paul's, you know, really good at, at, at yeah, harmonies yeah. and chords and stuff. And uh, and it also kind of makes some kind of melodic leaps and help me understand. Yeah, yeah. Again, would you yeah. say, oh, Paul always does his melodic leaps. Well, here's John doing it. Yeah. I think they had this ability to kind of inhabit each other's sensibility now and again, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to to kind of almost say, well, not not, not consciously, but they say, you know, I'm going to do what Paul would do here or vice mm-hmm. versa. Um, so in that introduction, that the harmony, it, you don't know where you are harmonically. Um, and again, that's a very kind of clever songwriting thing where the, the song is about uncertainty. Um, what would happen if I fell? Um, mm-hmm. And in that introduction, you really feel it because you don't know where the chords are going, but they're kind of going down. It's, it's a kind of sinking feeling. There's a feeling yeah. of instability, right? And and Lennon in particular was very good at using chords 
think about the strawberry fields or um the the chords that go under the opening of i am the walrus you know so he, oh, i'm yeah. obviously singing that line and the chords yeah. underneath are all over the place so you got kind of good at conveying this feeling that the ground beneath your feet is moving and you don't know what's going on you obviously think about his childhood again like he's transmuted the his his the raw stuff of of childhood into this incredible sensibility where he's able to convey instability and uncertainty and oh my goodness i don't know what's going on or where i am you know the feeling of disorientation in music and then resolve it beautifully and the moment it really resolves is kind of goes into the major and it's and it becomes a duet with paul you know and and i find that quite moving as well you know that 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 it's when his friend comes in that he starts to find his feet um mm, lovely that there's a there's a, actually a lovely um passage about this from jonathan gould's book can't mm-hmm. buy me love mm-hmm. um, just a few lines which I'll, I'll read from the moment paul's voice joins john's on the stately rising melody the whole tenor of the track changes their two parts do not move in simple parallel motion like a couple holding hands instead their voices perform an intricate courtship dance ranging from a sixth to a third apart alternately closing and widening the distance between them if i fell is a love song that seeks to move beyond the shaky ground of infatuation beyond the very idea of falling like the chords in the introduction in love by the last verse the music sounds like a hymn the yes. singing an exchange of vows yes i think that's really lovely um yeah, I think, you know, it's one of the songs that really, um, I don't know, captures so much, but one of the things that it captures is is that lovely kind of sense of, of, of relationship um, and what, what a kind of a more stable f- feeling of, of love can, can do for someone who's feeling kind of scared and uncertain. That's interesting because the ultimate feeling from the, the song for me is warmth. You know, it is a hymn because he and Paul sing it together. And I think it has this effect um, where all of a sudden the song, whatever it was written about, is kind of them together. It kind of becomes him like about them as well in the way that two of us does too. Yeah. And, and as you, I think you've said before, it, it, songs can be about more than one th- person and more than one thing, right? And yes. it could be about yes. Linda, it could be about John. I, I, I think this song is about Paul, you know, <laughs> at least in part. Um so, you know, I think he was feeling, when was this? This is like early 1964. Um, yeah, in Paris. He, written in Paris in 1964. Yeah. yeah. Right. Written in Paris where, you know, they spent their honeymoon. Paul had that like, kind of lovely trip in 1962, whatever it was, 1961. Yeah. Um, and I think he, you know, it was after a year of, a year of fame, incredible, mm-hmm. intense pressure, which had pushed them, uh, the whole group, but, but them in particular, because they were the, the two kind of closest friends in the group and, and the songwriters, pushed them together, you know, even yeah. more than they had yeah. been pre, pre-fame. Um, yeah. And I yeah. think at, at the same time, John's feeling very kind of scared and unsettled and upset by all this kind of turbulence. Um, he's enjoying it at the same time, but I think there's part of him which is, you know, losing himself, which is why he writes kind of help and so on later, a bit later on. Um yeah. And I think this is just a, a plea for 
you know, for for Paul and a celebration of, of what his uh, friend is doing for him. I was curious about what you were going to say about this one, because frankly, I, I believe that too. I think that fundamentally, this is a him kind of a, a promise, a commitment. And Paul said in mid-64, he said this was his favorite song from the album. So, you know, if John has written this even subconsciously, in a way to Paul that he needs reassurance and confirmation of Paul's commitment that Paul got it because he loved it so much, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting too, because John said this in 1980, he said, that's my first attempt to write a proper ballad in my life was the first one that worked as a ballad. This one has the same chord sequence just around D and D minor and E minor and those kinds of things. It is semi autobiographical. It is really about this girl, not, about sin. It has an intro like a 50 song. If I fell in love with you, would you promise to be true and help me understand? Paul may have helped me with the middle eight. So that shows I wrote sentimental love ballads, silly love songs way back then. <laughs> yeah, so that's, a great, that's wonderful. I love that quote. Yeah, I saw that. Um, silly love songs is, yeah, nice little. Well, exactly, exactly. I, I do think when John, I think when John makes these kind of shout outs, I personally think when he does that in interviews, he's saying, Paul, look here. Or yeah. else he's just referring to a Paul song just because. But I think that John uh, name drops songs very specifically. Yeah. yeah. And talking of which, there, there, there's a, a name drop of, well, yeah, there's a reference to I Want to Hold Your Hand, I think, in yeah. that it's, it's more than just holding hands. Yeah. Uh, again, you know, they were always kind of referring back to their own songs, right? Even at this stage. Yeah. Um, that was the kind of language they were speaking. Yeah. The holding hands thing, I think, actually is something that's repeated. And it's it's one of the lines that I think they use to signal something to each other. But yeah. And it's interesting because he specifically says in 1980 that it's not about sin. And he says that it is autobiographical. And, you know, that's, again, interesting that... Something yeah. was going on in John's life. And this is something that in Beatles books that it's just overlooked that John has these deeply felt songs and we don't know who he's talking about. We don't know who his affairs were, you know? Yeah, we, yeah, we really don't. And, and the songs are so charged with hot emotion. Yeah. Like no reply. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, yeah. So dramatic. And you kind of like, well, yeah, for a guy who's you know always using his life as material, exactly, um, you kind of think, well, what's going on here? I yeah, and I just don't know. It's it's mysterious. Yeah, the other um, just a little musical or little quirky thing about this song is that on the demo you can hear him going uh, at the end of "Was in Vain." He goes ah ha ha. Which is exactly what he does on Imagine a few years later. Uh, and I, I, I made a note of this as well because it was recorded on the same day as uh, Tell Me Why. Mm, your other choice. That was yeah, a pretty good day for again, John. I, I, another, yeah, exactly. Like, and another kind of <laughs> crazy. Uh, diverse styles, you know. Right, right. Did you right. tell me why? And then, and then, if I felt well, yeah, yeah, that's pretty incredible too. 
I have a couple of other additional notes. As you said, the the melody is sublime. I think it's heavenly. I, it's one of my favorites. It would be in my top 20 Beatles songs. Yeah. I think the, the harmonies are God's here. I think this may be my favorite Lennon-McCartney harmony. I love the quote that you just used from Gould. And because yeah. you kind of get this idea that it's a dance. and. Yeah that it is also a prayer and a commitment and it, it's very beautiful and you can tell they love singing it it's amazing mm. how paul runs out of air like he's it kind yes. of takes everything you know what i mean it's that little fault yes. it's it but it's very sweet it was written in paris and interestingly uh in my life was also written in paris a year later and John conflates these songs, even in this quote that I read. He says, In My Life was the first one that worked as a ballad. This one has some of the same sequence. These two songs are connected in his mind. You know, yeah. and he's not quite sure what Paul, what Paul contributed to each of these. You know, In My Life is one of the songs they don't agree on about who did what. Um, yeah. Paul also says that he had something to do with this song. It seems like based on John's comments, Paul had something to do with both of those, but he's saying they're dominantly his. Yeah. Um, you know, if Paul wrote the melody for In My Life, that uh, would make it a true Lennon McCartney. So that I think that one's debatable. But I do think it's yeah. interesting that the themes of these are conflated in John's mind, probably because, like he said, he's using the same chords. But I don't know if you noticed, did you notice on Paul's birthday, John's Instagram account? What did it say? Oh, well, used it used the lines from In My Life. Yeah. 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 It had a bunch of photos and it used the song, the lines from In My Life. And then it ended up on In My Life, I Love You More. And I always hypothesize that that song is about Paul because I think, you know, again, we're talking about underestimating the depth of the Lennon-McCartney partnership. And I think that that was the level of the commitment and love these guys had. And yeah. You know, at that time, Cynthia says that John would have left if it wasn't for the baby. So, you know, I don't take these songs to be overt romantic declarations to each other. I, that's not what's going on. I read them as romantic ballads that happen to have underlying emotions that are true and subconsciously meant for each other. John says that it was subconsciously autobiographical, not for sin, for a woman. And maybe there's a woman, we just don't know who she is. But we do know about the closeness of these men. You know, just look at them at this time. You know, you can see this and all of the, the film of them. And this could be John saying, I need support. I'm in. Are you still in? So I know I can, I can commit fully, you know? And in my life is, is more overt, um, you know, obviously... It's John talking about his life. And I think in the context of his life, it's fair that the person that he says, I love you more is Paul. Because apparently, according to everyone at this point, he is the closest person to John. And I suspect John is much better with overt statements. You know, that seems to be his MO, <laughs> especially when he's done something wrong. But I just think based on what others have said, that John was much more open um, and brave with his feelings. Maybe that's why Paul feels so much ownership um, with the song. I mean, this is speculative. It could be about nothing. It could be about no one, or it could be imaginary. Um, or it could be about Julian. That's the only person I think at that time that, that would make sense, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, 
I don't think it was about Julian. I mean, he wasn't. You do? Well, no, I don't think it was about Julian. Oh. Oh, it doesn't sound that plausible. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's I It's not how about John that. talked about, yeah, it's not really how John talked about Julian. So, yeah, I've already said no, this on exactly. my podcast. And <laughs> I, yeah. I think that song is about Paul and or that one line. And I was shocked that the Lennon estate, I assume it's Sean, okayed that for Paul's birthday, but it was beautiful. I mean, yeah. whether it was just random, it was very beautiful. Yeah, 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 it was lovely. And a couple of other things. This one has a start like here, there and everywhere. It has that like fake intro. Oh, it's, a, it's a kind of um, feature of uh, some of those great American songbook um, kind of this Rogers and Hammerstein you know, standards have, that, have those delicate little intros. Yes, um, yes. And um, perhaps you were just about to say this, sorry, but um, this is another example of how the pre-rock and roll um pop uh music fed into the beatles and into lennon's uh you know much as he yes. would like to dismiss it now and again he was you know he was he was in love with all that stuff too he was i was listening to the demo too because it's there in the demo but i don't yeah. know yeah i don't know if lennon mccartney worked on it before the demo so it's hard to know uh, you know? Uh, yeah i don't know <clears throat> it, it's so it's it, when you listen to the demo, it's very hard to believe that John didn't write all of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, just because it just feels so, so, so vulnerable so, and so there, personal. Yeah. yeah, he sounds so fragile. Like you said, it sounds fra- like it's from a very yeah. old recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's beautiful. I had one more point. It, it occurred to me when I was thinking about this song. You know, so in the breakup, so often um, I've discussed how I think it was a negotiation. I think that John was trying to change the dynamics of the Beatles uh, in some of his moves in that year. And I think that that even may be acceptable to some authors. Sure, he was trying to renegotiate and, and regain leadership. I think actually that what John wanted was not to go back to 1962 or 1963. I personally think that this is what John wanted to go back to is this period of closeness, you know, that this, if I wanted to model a time that was really wonderful for these guys, I agree that I think that Beatlemania and fame was unsettling for John, but I think it was a very, very good time for Lennon and McCartney. Yeah. Um, yeah. Having watched way too much footage of them from this time. It's just like, you've never seen two men so delighted in each other's company. And so, <laughs> so true. Uh, I suspect when John is trying to renegotiate, I think he wants Paul to look at him like he did at that time. I think he wants to feel loved and appreciated like he did at that time. And, you know, and yeah. this is a time when Paul came in and, and said, yes, like I'm there, I'm there. And I think that John felt it, you know, even if he was feeling a little insecurity, he was open enough to put that out there. And, and clearly Paul said this was his favorite song. So. He met him. Yeah. So this one's a tough one because, you know, talking about Lennon McCartney, it's a love story. It doesn't have to be a full romantic love story. At the beginning, you said it's hard to categorize, but certainly yeah, they yeah. can be speaking to each other. Yeah, I, I, it's a sort of lineup I will have to walk in the in the book as well. But I, I, but, but I will say at the beginning, you know, one of the reasons this relationship is so interesting is that it doesn't it blurs all those lines it does so you 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 can't just say oh they were just friends 
but n- n- neither can you say oh they were definitely lovers you know that that's not true uh, but but that doesn't mean there wasn't some sort of physicality you know or a sexual element it was romantic it was friendship yep. it's a bit like a family but it wasn't really like a family it's it's all these things um yep. and so you know we've yep. got to recognize oh. the, the complexity of it <laughs> Well, I love that because I agree with that too. There is all of that fused into their relationship and they're creating together, you know, and they called it a marriage themselves. There's so many complicated elements. And so I love the fact that you're going to be addressing these. I look forward to that level of complexity and thoughtfulness. Okay. So the next, uh, the next song on your list is from Band on the Run. We're getting into some solo material here and it is... Mamunia. So why did you choose Mamunia? Oh, Mamunia is just one of my all-time favourite Paul songs. Um, why is that? I just think it's, it's uh, well, it's uh, just a gorgeous... So- it's, it's a song which is about rain, um, yeah. but it feels like sunshine. Yeah, it's interesting. It's just a lovely, warm, embracing... Um, mm-hmm. uh, kind of enlivening. Mm-hmm. I think it's really, really lovely. And, and you know, I know Pete Pavidis is is um, big on this. You know, he he he, said, he thinks that that Mamunia really kind of captures the essence of the Paul philosophy. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. You know that it's that that nature is something inherently kind of optimistic and and we all we we all should just be thankful for for, for this wonderful world that, that we're living in and even when you're really down even when things are going badly let's just you know think about the the rain and 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 the sun and and the it's a very spiritual song um it is and uh and then just the sound of it is just gorgeous you know the, this is real kind of like peak wings um Linda mm-hmm. infused harmonies, you know, very a different kind of kind of harmonic harmonies backing vocals feel to to the Beatles, but it, very distinctive in its own way and very warm and embracing. And the use of the Moog as well, you know, he was using it just as this beautiful kind of melodic that 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 solo that it plays in the middle where it kind of goes up. Oh yeah, it's just so incredible. And now I, I don't know, like I've never really understood what Mamunia 
means was it a hotel I, and I don't I, I don't understand like why he used that word and that's kind of interesting part of the song why he chose uh, you know I'm sure he, he picked it up from somewhere but it's essentially like a nonsense word you know in the context yeah, of the song it doesn't mean anything it's yeah. right it's a hotel but he kind of uses it and you're like oh okay because I remember when I was listening to it and I just I was listening to it on cassette so that's how, how uh, wow ago it was <laughs> well, getting to know band, band, band on the run and just thinking and I really loved the song and I was like ah, it's about rain isn't it? it seems to be about rain um but what is Mamunia and I thought it, it must be some you know uh African language and it must be a word for rain but it wasn't <laughs> and so I also found that a bit of a mysterious thing about and I still find it mis- mysterious um yeah, you know, it's got one of my favourite moments in, in all the songs where the line, this is kind of like middle late where it says, um, take out your umbrellas. Mm-hmm. That again? Um, take out your umbrellas. Oh, yeah. and it, You haven't felt the rain, my friend, until you felt it running down your back. I, mean, I just love that. Oh, I know. I just really love that. And in its very light, without being kind of trying to be heavy about it, in its very light way, it's it's just saying, you, you know, these things that are that get us down, that we moan about. Let's just remember that they're, 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 you know, being alive is a wonderful thing, and part of being alive is being annoyed by things. But actually, you look at it another way, and you think, wow, it's wonderful, isn't it? Wonderful that the feel of rain down your back. Maybe we should stop moaning about the rain. And, and moaning about the rain is a very English thing too, you know. Despite the fact that it's got a very kind of like, in some ways, a Californian sound, and it was always and it was recorded in Africa, and and it's a very British song as well. Yes, about the rain. Although it mentions L.A., yeah, apparently yeah, Mamunia. Yeah, it's LA, yeah, yeah, uh, Mamunia. It was the hotel they were staying in in Marrakesh when they went and they stayed there with Wings in early '73, and the word means safe haven. And okay. so I agree. You don't know that when you're listening. It, it's just like a, a mantra. It's, it's just a, a lovely sounding word. It's, it's very yes. calming. You know, yes. the mamunia, mamunia. And, and I agree. There's a warmth to it. Like it's very um, uh, reassuring. Yeah. That, that's know, a soothing, great soothing, point. Really. Yeah. And of course it's got, I don't know, sound like some terrible Freudian psychoanalyst, but it has mama in there. You know, it's, it's got a, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and it yeah. is like a mantra. It is soothing. Yeah, and and he's got a he's got a real feel for words. In in, in like he loves the music of them more more so. Yes, yes, you yes. Know, there's an interview somewhere where he says, "Yeah, I don't, I'm not that." Maybe it was in a lyrics book where he says, "I'm not that bothered about meaning. Meaning's not a bit overrated." You know, I just <laughs> like the, the what what they sound like. And this yeah, yeah Mamuni is a lovely sounding word. Yeah, this is an interesting one. I've always liked in the context of the album, but I've never spent that much time thinking about it. So this was really fun for me uh, yeah. to spend some time thinking about it. And <laughs> what I have written down here is Paul is the uber daddy. This is like the wisdom of Paul. One can view Paul as explaining to his children why the rain is good. You know, there's something so gentle yeah. and wise about yeah. Paul in this song. And that's kind of like the beauty of Paul in his music is is this wisdom this gently told wisdom and it is linda too like this is paul and linda's genius is the connection to the earth like i remember one day i was 
I was meditating and afterwards I thought, oh, it's interesting that George brought meditation to, to the Western world and he helped popularize it. And I was thinking, and John and Yoko were so, you know, about peace and that was their their genius. And I was thinking, what did, what did Paul and Linda do? And I thought, oh my goodness, they're so connected to nature. Like if these were all gods of different things, Paul and Linda, their, their life force and their wisdom is so connected to nature. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And they're very, um, they, they were, and, and he is very spiritual, um, you know, I, I, yeah, as much, you know, as spiritual as, as, as George, but, you know, I, I less think kind of overtly. I think, I think that's a really important point, though, because, you know, every time you read something about George, it's like he's, he's the spiritual one. And yes, he is spiritual. That's not to take anything away from that. But I always find Paul deeply spiritual and Linda in terms of their love and communion with nature. So I love that you said that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's an, uh, definitely an underrated part of his stick his personality too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and there is a wisdom to Paul. Like this is the cycle of life, embrace it all, you know. And uh, this song actually did remind me a little bit of that would be something. There's Sometimes there's a sensuality in Paul's music, especially in the 70s. You know, you just kind of feel like that would be something I think is a very sexy song. And this yeah. is less sexy, more sensual. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but you like enjoy it. And with the word mamunia, it's like a warm rain, you know? Yes. And there was... Yeah, there was something else that I was thinking. He talks about L.A. rain and plastic Mac. I was wondering if this was a shout out to John to just like, it's okay, you know. I know it was apparently started in the early 73. So that would have been before John was in, in L.A. But it wasn't recorded until much later. And so I don't know if there's a demo of this. You never know how much songs evolve, you know, mm. so. yeah. Well, not that I want every song to be I, like, I, I fundamentally don't think this is about John. It's just like no. when I, when I was listening, I was like, huh, it's interesting. He used that word. It's a, probably a hugely British term. So maybe it has no connection, but he would have been recording it in, in Africa when John was in LA. Who knows? It doesn't matter to me. It was just something that I quickly thought like, why is LA in there? Either way, I, I, I like the Britishness of it, you know, in, in the context of this song where it, he mentions L.A. and, and it, it, it's got quite a kind of L.A. vibe about it, um, that it's also kind of, yeah, Plastic Max. Um, it's a nice note. Um, yeah, he, he's got a kind of um, a real feeling for he wants to kind of make people feel better. He does. Right. So many he of his does. songs. It's like, That's his how can I, yeah, yeah. Let's, 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 how can I make you, let me persuade you things are actually not as bad as, bad as they seem. <laughs> um, and, and this is one of those, uh, it doesn't feel hectoring or, or you nope. know, I think it's, no. it's, it's quite, it's quite gentle. And, it's uh, like a lullaby yeah, it's almost, just, yeah. 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 Yeah, it really is. Now, yeah, no, I think that's a lovely way to put it. And also your, this sense of warm rain is, is lovely as well. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, all those things. It's interesting, this drive that we just discussed, this drive to make people feel better. And Paul says that, you know, that um, songwriting is his therapy. And I wonder if it, 
I get sometimes the idea that Paul is self-soothing with some of his music. And then sometimes I think he's doing it from a more calm, generous perspective, just this empathy and desire to heal. I, I think he's definitely got a, a, a desire to, to heal. And, 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 and obviously, you know, that was most intensely focused on John for at least for a few years. Yeah. You know, he wanted him to be, um, you know, the, the end of the sixties, he wanted him to be, functional for the band you know there's a professional reason for wanting him yeah. to to get back on the rails and start working yeah. and so on but it wasn't yeah. just that you know I think he really wanted wants his friend to be okay um and, and of course that extends right into in, into the 70s when he sees him going off the rails oh, yeah. and he's, he's he's still you know uh, yeah I don't think it's just about him like getting John into a place where they can work together again. I think I, I, but I think the two go together. I think when he th feels that when, if John is happy, it's when he'll, you know, he'll want to work with me again, with, with me again, but I, I do want John to be happy or at least well, stay, you know, in a stable place. I agree with you. And I think there's also the flip side that I think Paul thinks John is happy when he's working, you know, so it's not just selfish that then he'll work with me. I think that Paul absolutely wants John to, be okay. I think that's why, even though Paul knows that Yoko is not great for his relationship, as in his working relationship with John, I think he supports Yoko because that's what he thinks John needs. And, you know, potentially that's why he tries to set them back up in 74 is because he thinks that that's, that will help John. You know, yeah, so I think there is an absolutely. absolute generosity to Paul about making sure John's okay. You know, I've had a couple of um, email conversations with Barry Miles, and I have, I, I actually read this somewhere. It wasn't in, I went back and looked, and it wasn't in my email exchanges with him, but he did say in another interview that he said that Paul was always worried about John. And right. it just shows how much Paul cares, you know, and it isn't just a selfish need. Like I want you to be my partner so we can work together. I want, it was like, yeah. he wanted John to feel good. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. 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 And you're right. He, he, and he believed, and I think he's probably right that, that, that John would feel good and would be, be happier when, when he was productive and, and working. So <laughs> it was that way around, you know? Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, I had Martin Carr on and, and we were laughing like for Paul, the answer is always work. You know, he's like, yeah. if we would just work, everybody would be happy because everybody's happy when they're working because Paul's happy when he's working, you know. Yeah. So yeah. anyways, OK, well, thank you for choosing that one. Excellent choice. Yeah. So the next one is another solo song. And this is uh, another one that was on my personal songs that I wanted to address. So I was so glad you chose oh. this one. And so this one is uh, from the Imagine album, and it is Oh Yoko.
did you choose this one? Um, I just love the way it kind of trips along. M musically, it's not a million miles from I've just seen a face. Um, <laughs> just maybe that's just because we've just been talking about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That just that just struck me. Um, yeah. Or, or, although it's a bit more, it's got that kind of John thing where he doesn't. Uh, he talks somewhere about like a song is putting different bits together, and sometimes in his words he doesn't try and spin a melody line here in more like a series of phrases um, mm -hmm. and and that's what he kind of does here um but also it's just a kind of lovely straightforward it's a silly love song you know it is it is absolutely um, it's, a, it's it's a and, and all the better for it um it's just a lovely kind of beautiful um uh, and fun kind of celebration um you know it's not a kind of it's not him trying to prove that he's like this deep serious artists singing about yes, God and thank, thank and God. so on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and my, my, I think my favourite thing about it is in the lyrics um, where he says, in the middle of a bath, um, in the middle of a shave. Yeah, yeah. And then it goes to in the middle of a dream, which is great. But what I, I really like it when he gets a, a songwriter you know, particularly when he does it, because he doesn't do it that often, gets down to the mundane and the particular. It's actually quite mm. a kind of Paul thing, mm -hmm, you know. Absolutely. Um, to celebrate those, or to celebrate, to kind of elevate those those little moments. And I, I find it, you know, that image, it just conscious this image in, in your mind. It, it's so oh, powerful. It's in, in the middle of a shave. And I think that's lovely, you know. So a little moment, a little explosion of, of joy and, and love inside him when, when he's in the middle of the most mundane things. Yeah, to capture that in a, in a song, I think it's just, just wonderful. Yeah, when I look at what I've got written down for this one, it is pretty similar to I've Just Seen a Face. Like giddy, euphoric, happy. I love the sound of this song. I love the jangly. Yeah. Like what I love about this particular song, though, is that, you know, John and Yoko are a complex, interesting couple. <laughs> but sometimes they are just cute together. And I think that yeah. this period, they seem incredibly close and sometimes like they can be very intense and serious but they can also be light and silly and cute with each other and this song to me encapsulates that um the softer lighter side of their relationship and how happy john is i love hearing john be happy you know yes. and 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 that makes me happy hearing john happy they can just be really playful together i think that this particular period was the height of this for them. You know, they go up and down, but this is just yeah. um, John's, like it reminds me of the song, um, Long Haired Lady, not in terms of the structure of the song or any, even the lyrics or anything, just in, those are both songs where you get how much the men adore their wives, you know, and the, the level of, of affection that Lennon had for Yoko, I think is so cute and, I love the piano in this. This particular album, it's Nicky Hopkins on piano. And I just think that's John's secret weapon on this album. And, and in general, I love John's use of Nicky Hopkins. It gives such a sound to this album. Love, love that. 
Um, So I love this song. But, you know, when I was listening to it, and this is always kind of been in the back of my mind, but specifically when I was thinking about this for our discussion, I was paying a little bit more attention to it. And I focused on it. This particular song, the refrain of my love will turn you on, it kind of makes me feel a bit sad. Not because I think that Yoko needs to be turned on by John's love. I think that that comes from John's deep-rooted insecurity of like, I've always got to make this person love me. And, uh, you know, yeah. so, you know, this this insecurity that yeah. w- is with John. That's interesting. That That, that is interesting because, yeah, that, that helps me understand that. Because I, I uh, that is a line in the song where I'm like, isn't that the line where you say, you turn me on like you say something yes. nice about what this person is doing yes. for you rather than <laughs> hey i'm gonna do this great thing for you <laughs> um, well, it, is quite I was thinking, it is and you know that is when i was comparing that to long-haired lady like paul is talking about how great she is you know which is a more typical love song is like who's this lady with this laughter and he's describing her whereas this it almost feels like his giddiness and, and feeling of warmth, he's trying to to convey that, to make Yoko feel that. And I think that this song is genuinely felt. He sounds happy, he sounds giddy, but the, the line kind of makes me just think, oh, John, a little bit when I listen to it. And the other yeah. bit is that when he says, like when he calls her out, like in some ways it's so cute. I think there's something so fun for John to have her always around him. And just to yeah. be able to call her, like it's like a random, like, Yoko! But at the same yeah. time, that one line, finally I was just like, I get it. It's because John feels like he needs to make her love him. And I think she did. And I, I don't think that what says anything about Yoko. I think that says something about John, you know? Yeah. Just one more thing on, on the, the the childlike spirit of it, I, I think is embodied in the mouth organ. Um, oh yeah! At, at the end, you know, where he's just kind of riffing away, um, like a kid who's just picked it up. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it, yeah, it's rather nice. It's true. It gives it just a lightness and joy. There's not that many John songs for Yoko that are just playful and fun, and you know, he's either apologizing or declaring his love, and so this is just sweet. Yeah. So onwards, we have more to do. The next one is one that I was so glad you chose because it wasn't on my list. And the minute I saw it, I thought, oh, I'm so glad we're talking about this one because I love it and it needs to be discussed. And so thank you for choosing this one. It is from Driving Rain from a lover to a friend. Found will not be gone. 
Yeah, so so I I don't know this song very well. I've only come to it relatively recently. Um, Yeah, well, you know, I'm not like I I don't know every song on every album um, on their solo careers, and there are some albums I just don't know very well at all. And Driving Rain, in particular, because I'd just seen it kind of dismissed so many times, I thought it's not worth um, listening to it. And then I did listen to it. I thought this is not terrible. Yeah. Is, yeah. I, I, you know, first of all, it's quite good overall yeah. um, as an album, and also there are kind of one or two songs, that, and this song in particular is just like, wow, this is a really powerful song. Yes. Um, the way that he just comes in with that, and when, and when the time comes round, we will be mm-hmm. duty bound to tell the truth of what we see. Whoa! Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know, <laughs> I, mean, I know. That's your that stuff. is incredible. Yes, and uh, it's very strong and very it's great writing. Um, mm-hmm. And and it's just kind of like going big. Judgment the, 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 Day. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And then the, there are parts of it. You know, when he goes up high and he says, "How can I walk when I can't find a way?" When oh. he sounds genuinely in pain. He is. Um, yeah. yeah. And, 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 he was. and it's quite, and he was, right? So, this is in the aftermath of Linda's death, or, or yeah. just before, or I'm not sure. No, no, this is, um, this is no, this was written afterwards, afterwards yeah. Afterwards, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, and it's not often that you hear Paul in pain, you know, exposing himself to that degree yeah. um, in a song. And so, there's a real, like, emotional power to it. Um, the and and then it's also um it's just sort of a bit mysterious to me in quite a kind of poor way where you at first you go oh, yeah i see what he's saying and then you're like what How, who's the, <laughs> what? yeah 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 i, I so i i know and then that, that i i quite like that i'm not i don't have to find the answer but i i you know i do think is is this who is the friend here and who's the lover and is he singing to himself or is he singing to so i don't know um, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, but um, yeah, that's my kind of, that's why I chose it. Well, so I got into w- Wings when Wingspan came out. Like that was my first sort of um, initiation to Paul's solo career. And then Driving Rain came out right after that. And so it was the first time I was waiting for a Paul solo release. So I was paying attention to this when this came out. and. I was living in London, actually, and I was sort of following the aftermath of Linda's death and the romance with Heather Mills. And this was the first song off of that album. 
And I thought it was gorgeous. I was like, oh my God, I, I hope this whole album's like this, which is not sadly, but I love this song. I think the piano's gorgeous. Um, I was knocked out by it because of the depth of the emotion of it. And I think you're right that it's very muddled. It's very circular. Like even the way the way the song is structured, it's like he's it's going and then it stops. starts again and I think he's talking to himself and this was at the beginning he had started his relationship with Heather Mills at this right. time and so I suspect the lover I thought it was Linda when at that time I thought it was about Linda and I don't yeah. I think the lover to a friend is probably about Mills but I think the yeah. rest of the song is about Paul and Linda and his you know his grieving his desire to get away from the pain his uh, guilt about doing that. Like, I, I don't know if take your own advice and let me love again. I don't know if that is Paul talking to himself. I suspect it is, but it kind of seems like he's also talking to Linda. So I think it's all muddled in this song and Heather Mills is wrapped up in it because that's the one thing that might take it away. You know, I, I suspect that that was the trajectory of Mills, you know, that she came in as somebody that he was attracted to and that became a friend that he could trust or he felt like he could trust anyways yeah. um so i i think it's an exquisite song it's it's yearning um it's deep it's meditative i the beginning bed and the la la la's it's it's angelic almost you know i, I it almost gives me chills because it sounds otherworldly a little bit um and yeah paul is wide open here and it's it's very, very unresolved. It's a fascinating song. I, I love it. I think it's gorgeous and it's just, it's never talked about. I was really pleased to see it get a shout out in um, the Guardian uh, newspaper did a, uh, a an editorial um, saying happy birthday to, to Paul McCartney um, for his 80th birthday. Um, and often, you know, when a, a newspaper a leader column or does a piece uh, about they're often quite bland you know particularly yes. when they're writing about the Beatles or Paul McCartney they'll say things yeah, that yeah. you kind of expect them to say this one's actually really good and 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 quite perceptive and nice and and they called out lover to a friend as yeah. you know an example of of, of of a great McCartney song and I thought wow that's that's really nice so um, maybe it is kind of getting a, a bit more recognized I was just thinking that that the that bit where he says how can I walk where I can't find a way yeah. Is a, a an echoes the Lennon song, doesn't it? Oh, uh, uh, how how how? In fact, it's called how. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the um, 
the the other thing musically that, that I love about it is the bass, the bass playing. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Um, it really starts to oh, feel yeah. by the end of the song, he's feeling playing quite high up the neck, um, and it actually it starts to feel like a a dialogue between the. the oh, singer I agree. And the, and the bass. I agree. It's kind of like Paul's other voice, you know. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. He didn't really put that much out after Linda died. He didn't write that much. He said that he wrote some music that he just didn't want out. And he put out... This This, this feels like something that were, that maybe he felt like he had to kind of... That was on the verge of not being put out. But in fact, what he did was kind of throw a few brushstrokes over the, the bits that he didn't want to pe- people to see. You know, so... Maybe just kind of messed with the lyrics a bit so that it doesn't actually make sense. Yes, yes, that, that <laughs> no, sounds like I, very, I, McCart- I, very McCartney. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when he yeah. wants to obfuscate just a little bit, he'll yeah, he'll uh, yeah. yeah, change some lyrics or sing them, mumble them. I guess he did a take, and they could have redone it, but he said that he quite liked the sound of it. It was just really vulnerable and raw, and they just decided to go with it. And it does. It sounds like that. It's he sounds like he's hurting. He sounds confused. Yeah. Like there is maybe a bit of light there, you know. Yeah. And and this yeah, idea unusually of... unusually little for him. I mean, normally you know there's some turn towards the affirmative, <laughs> but not right, not right, right, much right. of it here. He says, "From a lover to a friend, you turned out to be someone I believe," and this is something that I suspect with Paul. I feel like Paul kind of is. Um, I kind of feel like he's somebody that is, how do I put this without sounding crazy? Um, because this is entirely speculative. Um, but you know, just based on what I've read, I feel like that he's a bit of a sensualist that he feels things like he has to feel the ground that he like that maybe sex is a way for him to connect with people first. Like even he and Linda, I think had a physical connection first that then he came to trust her and then fall deeply in love with her. You know, whereas I think John's very heady and Yoko and John probably had a mind. I get the sense with Paul that it is almost a a physical thing with him first often with women. Yeah. And so it doesn't surprise me that that's the way that his relationship might have gone. Yeah. The next song is My Choice. And it is. When I love, I get a feeling like I'm traveling through the sky.
Wings of a Nightingale, which is a song that was written by, composed by Paul in the early 80s for the Everly Brothers. He wrote it specifically for them and he played guitar on it. And I guess it was the first hit they had had since 1970. It wasn't a huge hit, it hit uh, number 50 on the hot billboard, but I love this song. I chose it primarily because I love the song. I think it's amazing that he was able to write such a fabulous song for his childhood idols, you know, that he and John modeled themselves after the two of them. And he wrote a song that sounds like it's theirs. Like it sounds like it should have always been their song. When I heard that he had written that, I was like, what? That wasn't always an Everly Brothers song. And they sound phenomenal when they sing it together. So I love it for all of those reasons. I think it's giddy and exhilarating and it perfectly captures that sense of exhilaration when, when you're with somebody that you feel so powerful to be with. And when I look at the lyrics of this, on the wings of a nightingale, fly high above the land and sea, I'll be thinking about you and me. Couldn't ask for a better place to be. I can feel something happening to me. So hold my hand. I got a feeling that the journey has just begun on the wings of a nightingale. And, you know, when I'm thinking about it, I think that Paul was probably writing it, thinking about the Everly brothers and their journey. But I suspect he was also thinking about the journey with Linda. I think that that was their life journey. You know, they created wings. It's got wings in it. They created wings. And that must have been so incredible. But also, I think it might apply to him and John. You know, he might have been thinking of him and John because they were also, you know, they modeled themselves after the Everly Brothers. And I think one of the things in my podcast, I've often talked about the breakup and the, the feelings between them and the confusion and the hurt and all that kind of thing. And one of the things I don't talk about enough is the exhilaration and power that Lennon and McCartney must have felt being together. You know, just the, the strength and the, the exuberance, the feeling that they must have had being able to have each other as partners must have been just incredible. And I get that from this. When I hear this song, I get a little, little pinch of that excitement of just that feeling of flying. You know, I feel like they probably felt like they could fly with each other, you know? Yeah, absolutely. There's, um, you know, people who are around them, here we are talking about John and Paul again, um, who, who, <laughs> who were around them, you know, in those early days, those pre-fame days in Liverpool, um, would say that they, you know, they projected a kind of invincibility, a kind of um, arrogance, yep. you know, uh, some yep. sort of sensation that yeah, they were a little bit, they were superhumans. Um, yep. and, and together um, they were. You can understand yeah. why, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think this is a really, really gorgeous song that that does uh, it's a, one of the a great addition to Paul's um, songs with birds uh, about birds or <laughs> with birds in the title um but also you know it just embodies flight you know in, flight, in the exactly. melody and, and 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 the harmonies and uh yeah no I, I agree with with everything you say about it yeah well and I want to pick up on uh the the bird it's interesting to me how prominently birds play into Paul's life and his music. And I find it interesting that probably, you know, he is among the most famous musicians of the 20th century is so fascinated by birds who sing. You know, I, I don't know if Paul McCartney kind of hears at a different frequency or, you know what I mean? I was thinking about it. I was like, 
is Paul particularly attuned to birds? Because I do think that he hears a lot. And what made me think of that is that he, I forget if he was talking about she loves you or I want to hold your hand. And he said, oh, I knew it was a hit when I heard a bird singing in. I swear I heard a bird singing in. And it was like, no, Paul, only you heard that bird singing it. Nobody else heard that. So I just <laughs> find it an interesting connection that such a great musician is so connected to the bird kingdom, you know, and he's, he says he's a birder. He's always been a birder. He called his band wings, you know, I never yeah. really liked the, the, the name wings, but then when I started to think about how much Paul loves birds yeah. and, and how, excited he is you know you see it in some of his videos he's always flying in his videos so i just think that something there really captured his imagination and i think that's quite fascinating yeah that is fascinating and i hadn't thought about that before yeah definitely like um there's a sense that he is in tune with um the songs of the universe at some primal level exactly Exactly. Um, so he hears it in birds. He hears it. Yeah. You know how Paul's always like, the songs are in the piano or they're just up there in the air. And for some yeah. reason, he doesn't realize that nobody else can hear those. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's why I wanted to talk about that fabulous song. We're going to talk about this with the next one, too. But he does write extraordinary songs for people. When I look at the songs that he's given away, I, I always think they're excellent songs. Yeah, agreed. Okay, this brings us to our next one, which is I Want to Come Home, sung by Tom Jones, the Tom Jones version. For so long, I was out in the cold, and I taught myself to believe every story I told. It was fun hanging on to the moon, heading into the sun, but it's been too long. Now I want to come home I came so close To the edge of defeat But I made my way in the shade Keeping out of the heat It was fun shooting out of the stars Looking into the sun But it's been too long Now I want to come home Home, where there's nothing but sweet surrender to the memories from afar. Home to the place where the truth lies waiting. We remember who we are. What does that mean? And the Tom Jones version. This is, remember, we were confused. This was a song written by Paul for the film, Everybody's Fine. And I knew it. I know the song, I Want to Come Home. So that's why I was like, oh, okay, you want to do that one? And then you had Tom Jones. And I was like, is Tom Jones another song? I just don't know. But you were saying, oh, see. you were saying this song on the Tom Jones yeah. album. Yeah, so, yeah, this song, but I want the, the Tom Jones version. Um, I just yes. think it's, it's, it's um, much better. 
<laughs> controversially. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Actually, I agree. Yeah, right, right, right. Okay, good. Because um, I think it's a wonderful song. But but um, I, I think um, Tom sings it much better. It really suits Tom Jones. Yeah. Um, it's uh, a, a song about like so many of Paul's songs, you know, it's a song about going away and coming back home again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's 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 something really kind of um, almost mythical about the way... Yes, yes, yes. He, you know, the wonderful kind of line, it was fun hanging on to the moon, heading into oh, the I sun. Oh, I love that one. But I want to come lyrics home. Great yeah. Uh, yeah, really great. And, and so this sense that, you know, I've done these incredible universe bending things uh but now i want to come home um there's such a kind of grandeur to it that oh, actually yeah. it suits tom a bit a bit better tom's got that kind of deeper uh bass uh, you know more kind of a bass heavy voice and also you you, you kind of associate because then I, I i think about i think about it as a in partly a, a song about the rock and roll life you know doing yeah. all these crazy yeah. things and then and then wanted to yeah. come home and that really suits Tom as well. He's, Tom Jones is the guy that you associate with, you know, swimming pools and champagne and girls and, <laughs> and Las tight Vegas yes, and tight pants. pants yeah. And, you know, the extremes of, of the rock and roll right, um, right. Uh, lifestyle, um, you know, hairy chest and, and medallion and so on. And now he's kind of this older guy. Who, who wants to? I don't know. He actually is in Wales, but you imagine he kind of wants to come back to the valleys, um, and so it really—it's almost Homeric, right? That 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 Absolutely. sense of a, a, a long kind of journey um, back home to the place where the truth lies waiting. We remember who we are. I was so wonderful. Uh, I I think it's great for and I, and I sort of really went back to Paul's version the other day and I just thought no nah, it just it's not right you know for one thing he sounds too kind of perky <laughs> you know, there's it's a sense true. of there's pathos in Tom Jones's version um and he sounds weathered and, and, and you know? sa- exactly exactly he sounds weathered a little bit bruised and and, and battered yes this, yes yeah this Homeric hero who's been through yes. the wars and uh, has great times, has had terrible times, and, and now wants to come home. And yeah, Paul just doesn't deliver that. Um, and 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 musically, it's just in the Paul version, it's just too straight. It feels a, a bit plodding and sort of stilted. Um, there's nothing, not much kind of swing or life about it. Um, whereas in the Tom's version, it's got much more feel. Um, so um, so yeah, I think it's a great song, and I and I, I think Tom sings it incredibly well. You know, I, I didn't know there was the Tom Jones version. And it was when I listened to his version that I realized what a good song it is. Yeah. You know, this is a really a spectacular song. Like that, Paul really has written some gorgeous songs in the past 20 years, you know, which I love. Yeah. I love the fact that he's still writing really fantastic songs. And I agree with you that there is this sense of, like this line here, he, around this time, he would write about almost having been defeated. You know, he says that came so close to the edge of defeat, but I made my way in the shade keeping out of the heat. But I made my way in the shade keeping out of the heat. 
It was fun shooting out of the stars, looking into the sun. But it's been too long. Now I wanna come home. And I find that interesting. I feel like it's a constant battle, and he felt like he made it through, but it could have gone. You know, when you think back to Paul McCartney's life in the 80s, how, how challenging the, the, you know, having the critics against you, having John's death and John being lionized. And unfortunately, people treated them like it was a zero-sum game. And it would have been tough on Paul. And so when he says lines like that, it's a little, little bit of an insight to how much Paul struggled, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it, 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 t- it takes all that and then it, it turns it into this, yeah, this, this kind of um, mythical um, narrative that, that, that everybody can identify with. And, uh, <laughs> and of course, yeah, Paul, Paul Wisdom, it's always home. Home is where, you know, the truth and, lies. And, and, he, and he expresses it just so simply and beautifully in this song. And, uh, yeah, it's a sentiment that he's returned to many times. But, you know, he says it so... I, I, I've said it, uh, just said it, but I'm going to say it again. I just love that. To the place where the truth lies waiting. We remember who we are. Just that, that and when he's, you know, that I just think is, is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Great song. Lovely song. Tom Jones' version is... I don't often like other people's versions better than Paul's, but I agree with you. He does a fantastic job on it. Yeah. It was written for the film, um, Everybody's Fine. And Paul said that he watched it and really connected to it because it was a father who was a widower and was trying to get his family back together. So he said that he really connected to that. So, you know, it was inspired to write music. For so long, I was out in the cold And I taught myself to believe every story I told It was fun hanging under the moon, heading into the sun But it's been too long, now I want to come home Came so close to the edge of defeat but i've made my way in the shade keeping out of the heat it was fun shooting out of the stars looking into the sun but it's been too long now i want to come home home where there's nothing but sweet surrender And the next song is from the White Album, and it is Dear Prudence.
Why did you choose this one, Ian? Well, um, this song, I think, is is pretty well known, and 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 you know, people will, will lots of people listening will will love it already. I just want to draw people's attention to what I think turns it from a really really good song into something spectacular, which is its orchestration. Yes, or, you know, its its arrangement, what, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it. Mm-hmm. I I think this is a band at the absolute peak of its powers. Mm-hmm. What, the, the, what they do with this song, what they do with this pretty simple song, which kind of goes around in a circle. Yeah, you know, it's not a kind of complex song, really. Is but the the they the it becomes a story that unfolds because yes. of the uh, of the way they 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 use the music and you know to, to we'd have to kind of listen go through every every <laughs> few seconds of it to capture it all which but but the the way that the the bass kind of comes in very very simply at the beginning after the acoustic guitar yeah. the, the the incredible use of backing vocals yeah. <clears throat> you know that the way they say skies and it, it's um the, the way they were using backing vocals as an instrument at, at this time right just as as texture and color um almost uh just um i sing in a choir we sing uh some revel we sang a revel piece called daphne and chloe recently where the the chorus doesn't sing words that they, they're just sort of sounds um backing the orchestra um and and they're doing that here they they they're just using these backing vocals sometimes they they they're singing words but sometimes they're just making sounds um yeah. and, and in either case it's just kind of adding this layer of texture is quite oh, quite incredible it's insane it's god <clears throat> god tier vocals it's unbelievable yeah really is and then and then the other great things are you know the guitar george's kind of indian flavored guitar mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um um and the drumming, of course, which you know apparently is Paul, who's some some dispute about that. Um, which uh, it starts off simple, but then kind of starts going crazy. But basically, what happens is, and, and then the piano comes in. Uh, so, so, so this song, which kind of you know just builds and builds and builds until you've got all this stuff going on. You know, you've, yeah, yeah. you've got this really funky kind of bass by the end of it. You've got then George is doing this kind of guitar figure. That goes, <laughs> do 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 do. do. Um, and you've got this tinkling piano, you've got the drums going insane. And then right at the end, they kind of take it all away. And it's like, you know, so 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 the blue sky comes back. It's almost like the clouds because it gets quite kind of dark and stormy and turbulent. Yeah. Yeah. And then whoosh, the clouds yeah. go away and the blue sky comes back. And it's just uh, dear prudence and, and, and the sound of that that tinkling guitar. Um yeah. I just think it's an absolute masterpiece. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to talk about it. I mean, it's... um it creates such an atmosphere on the album too, you know, where it sits in the album for me anyways, it kind of settles the album into this space. I guess in my mind, it goes to India or this, it's so atmospheric that it just kind of settles me into the album. Um, 
the White Album. Yeah. To me, it's kind of like Because, where it's kind of like a, a soundscape that builds and builds, and it just becomes more and more beautiful, you know? It I, is, yeah. I, yeah. It is a soundscape, yeah. Yeah. And that's, why, that's why I say orchestration rather than just arrangement, because it really does remind me of some of those great kind of classical orchestrators like that that their understanding of of color and texture and yes. how to put different yes. sounds yes. together at this stage is just phenomenal yes exactly the palette it's true it is like a beautiful painting i wouldn't say it's my favorite song but every time i listen to this song i i just get so sucked into it and i love it you know yeah. so and i think that speaks to what we're talking about the song itself it's a good song that they make into something extraordinary. And you're yeah. right, like it's the full powers of the Beatles minus Ringo. But, may, you know, maybe they maybe they poured all of their energies into this song because Ringo wasn't there and they were kind of emotional. Well, you it know? would be a very poor thing to do, wouldn't it? To, to <laughs> it certainly like, would be. OK, and fine. He, I'll do the drums and I'll do amazing <laughs> drums. <laughs> and he's all over this song, you know, he's yes. all over it. So, yeah, piano, yeah. bass, drums. Greet the brand new And I, I'm truly struck by the bass in this song. It is another voice. It is, you know, and I really focused on it. It's an amazing, it's amazing um, how much the bass speaks, how, how prominent a role it plays in this. Um, and the guitars are mesmerizing. It's just the interplay is unbelievable, un unbelievably magical, <laughs> magnetic, all the M words. Yeah, the song itself, I, I like. I mean, it, it's and it's got that very kind of um, childlike, you know, I, in a way it does kind of capture something about the essence of the Beatles, which is, you know, hey, just let's let's go play. Let's come out. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Let's, let's go and have fun. Um, there, There's a sense of uh, a Lennon kind of uh, sense of, um, what is it, pleading or, or beseeching, Yes, you yes, know, yes. Like a child tugging at his mother's yes. sleeve, saying, hey, 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 play with me, play with me. <laughs> Won't you come out and play? It's, it's, there, there is some sort of emotional, like, undertow. Well, here he seems to be seducing a little bit more. And I think that's what the music does. So that's the, you know, as, as we've been talking about the arrangement, the orchestration, it's kind of, it's like seductive. You know, it's pulling you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I yeah, because there is a kind of darkness to it, isn't it, in the music? Like, as yeah, it, it does get sort of turbulent and 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 um, uh, turbid. Um, but I, I, and I, I, I don't know what to make of it really. But I don't have to work it out, do I? It's just magic. <laughs> no, <don't> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that they do these, you know, they tend to do these works of, of arrangements on John songs. Like, I feel like this is the same as um, I Want You, She's So Heavy and Because. They're all, they're pretty simple songs that the yeah. palette around them is incredible, spectacular. Well, Maybe because the songs are simpler. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I think it's because John's songs are a little bit less finished and less kind of worked out. And, yeah. Yeah. 
you know, John's Paul will come and just, you know, he's got the song in his head and he's like, wait, you do this, you do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Where, uh, and, which has its advantages, right? In a way, it's kind of incredible skill that he's got. The, the, the advantage of John's approach is it, it gives the others more room. You know, it's more of a platform for the others to come in and do their thing. He's like, okay, here's this thing. I agree. There's it, more space brings... for them to. There's just more space for them to to be creative. You know, because he's put less into it. He's kind of leaving quite a lot out so that you can come in and make it yours. Yeah. He manages to draw the Beatles' genius, either individual genius out, like it's the collaborative effort right. that I think really right. so often elevates John's songs. And, you know, it's just the way he writes that inspires them, or else, as you said, they're they're less finished. Um, yeah. And he invites the collaboration. But, you know, I think sometimes Paul yeah. should have done that too. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah, that's most, super interesting. Yeah. 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 Really interesting, yeah. I, and and you've just put it like really, really well. Because yeah, because then because then it just makes you think about the whole dynamics of the band, doesn't it? The, and yeah. The role it. Yeah. I mean, and and I think sometimes John was frustrated by, you know, it's some of the songs that he would say that Paul had ruined with his experimentalism. But I, I wish he would know that he inspired and brought out the greatness of them too. You know. Yes, by doing that, absolutely. by being absolutely and yeah, yeah, yeah. So wonderful choice, amazing list. Um, thank you so much for this. I've enjoyed it so much. And um, if you ever want to do a part two in the uh, future, please let me know. There's so many, so many songs to cover. There are, there are. Is it wonderful? Thank you so much. That was really, really wonderful. Really for me it. too. Thank you, Ian. I can't wait for your book. And uh, thank you for this wonderful list. And that concludes my chat with Ian Leslie. I only have a couple of brief notes about this episode. My first note is about Ian's point about the importance of feel to the Beatles' music. The feeling of a song was always critical to the Beatles. John articulated this in late 1965 when talking to Slip Magazine. I used this quote in the last episode, but I want to flag it again here because it's so pertinent to this topic. John said the following to the flip journalist. There are only about a hundred people in the world who understand our music, George, Ringo, and a few friends around the world. When Paul and I write a song, we try to take hold of something we believe in, a truth. We can never communicate hundred percent of what we feel, but if we can convey just a fraction, we have achieved something. We try to give people a feeling. They don't have to understand the music if they can just feel the emotion. So this was their objective in December 1965, and personally, I think they always achieve this goal, which is why their songs endure. Second, in this episode, I made a casual remark about George bringing meditation to the Western world. 
That was clearly hyperbole. I just meant uh, that he and the Beatles helped raise the profile of meditation. And George's lifelong public devotion to meditation helped to popularize it. My third and final point is about If I Fell. I hope our discussion about If I Fell is taken in the right spirit, in the spirit in which we were discussing it. I don't think either of us see the song as an overt romantic overture, but rather as a subconscious request for support and devotion from a partner that John adored and counted on. As we discussed, their partnership is tricky to articulate because it's not easily defined, which is part of what makes it so compelling. According to all of those around them, their connection was intense. I think we are comfortable accepting Paul's love, but they were a great world-changing partnership because it was so deep on both sides. And I think these songs reflect John's part of the dance. That's all from my host notes. Thank you all for listening and a big thank you to Ian Leslie for being such a brilliant guest. Please stay tuned because we will be back with the George Cleave episode and I have an amazing Hidden Gems episode to come as well. I look forward to sharing that one soon. As always, I'm going to encourage you to rate the podcast, review it, or give it a shout out in social if you're enjoying it. I love feedback and it helps to raise the profile of the podcast so that other people can find it. And thank you to my patrons for their support. This is a one-woman podcast, owned, run, edited, and produced by me, and the support, feedback, and insight of the group is greatly appreciated. Also, the podcast has a Facebook community. It also has an Instagram and Twitter account, in case you feel like following those. That's it for now. Until next time, bye for now. If I fell in love with you, would you promise to be true and help me understand? Cause I've been in love before and I found that love was more than just holding hands. If I give my heart to you, I must be sure from the very that you would love me more than her If I trust in you Oh please Don't run and hide If I love you too Oh please Don't hurt my pride like her I couldn't stand the pain
credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 